Hello and welcome to the David Watson podcast. In this episode, I am talking to Giles. Giles is a returning guest and was, it's just a man that I find fascinating. He has done so many things. And today we were talking about a couple of charities that he's been involved in. And I'm not going to give too much away. The links will be in the description. As always, these people need as much support as they can be given. Um, but really, it'd just be nice if people can try and understand where Giles and I were coming from. And that's the differences between our country, our culture, compared to other countries and other cultures. And for me, on a personal note, I probably do bang the, the drum a little bit about how good I think this country really is and that we have a lot going for us and we could be in a much worse position. So, yeah, I'm probably coming from the point of a very proud Brit. So, But I do hope you enjoy the episode. And if you do, please like, subscribe and share. It's always appreciated. Good morning. Welcome to the David Watson podcast. Again, how are you? I'm very well. Thanks, uh, David. It's very nice to be here. And uh, yeah, looking forward to having a chat with you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because like you said, um, when we spoke the first time, um, I remember one of the things I talked about was this big, long list of things that you had done and were involved in over the years. And I really just had no idea where to start. And but one of the things that we kind of got into but didn't get into details on uh, was some of the work that you've been doing in Africa. Oh, yeah. OK. So, uh, yeah, which seems a long time ago now because of the old pandemic. And I haven't yeah. been there for a couple of years or so. And uh, every yeah, I keep getting these longings to to uh, to touch the earth of Africa once again. And and, uh, and every time I look at the governments of putting Kenya on the red list and all this sort of stuff, I'm thinking, oh, no, it's not yeah. going to happen. Again. But I'm hoping, I'm really hoping to go back to Kenya this this um, uh, June, late, late next June and, uh, and and see some friends out there. That's what I'm hoping. We'll see. We'll have to see, I guess. So how did you get involved in going over there in the first place? So uh, I'm very lucky in my job in that, um, you know, I've, 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 actually I was talking to someone the other day who's, who's quite a young teacher and, and uh, she kind of quizzed me. It was, bit, it was almost a bit like a podcast, like talking to you, Dave. It was, it was, <laughs> we, we had a... We had a after I'd done duty, I do a duty night once uh, once a week in one of the boarding houses. It's one of the girls' houses, actually. And uh, I love it, actually, go and have a bit of chat, a bit of fun, and um, talk to some interesting kids. And then um, we tend to wind down with a glass of wine at the end of the evening to have a chat. And uh, uh, if you like, a, a new friend, Chloe, was there. She's, she's, she's now the deputy housemistress, and she um, plied me with um, a couple of glasses of wine and basically just... We ended up chatting about what I've been up to, and she said, "You know, gosh, you you must have had to adapt to being at the same place for so long, and do so many different things." And I, and I think I have, and I, and so after I've been finished being a housemaster, I ended up working in admissions. And um, I don't know if I said this last time to you, but I think that the, my boss, I think I'm not sure he he fancied the Africa trip. I think you know, I think some sort of some stories of. Um, you know things going wrong in Africa, but also maybe to be fair to him, it was probably the, end, the wrong time of term. So at the end of term, there's, a, there's an opportunity to go out to a school and and wave your flag and say to people, "Why don't you come to to our school? Why don't you come to Shrewsbury School?" And and um, 
uh, and spend five years with us and, and be educated in in the appropriate manner. And yeah. <laughs> and um, so um, so you know it's basically a sales job. So you go out there and you just say, look, this is a nice school. Why don't you come to us? Um, and you obviously you go to the private schools out there, the private prep schools, and, and you hope that you might bump, bump into some wealthy and um, interested people who might want to send their, their kids overseas, and, and some people do. Um, so that's really how I got to go over there. But but the thing is, the prep school I go to is called a place called Pembroke, which is in the middle of Kenya. It's in, in Gilgil. It's about two hours north of Kenya, Nairobi. And, um, and right by it is... You know, you've got this rather smart prep school and the Gilgil Club, and I, I think I might be right in saying, isn't it something to do with the old uh, white mischief and the, all those sort of you know the colonial wow. um, colonial <laughs> mischief that happened up there? But also, so around the corner, you've got this quite um, quite deprived area, if you like, uh, and a uh, small village, Langa Langa, and, and one another two little places, and, and you've got this this um, place um, called. Uh, Restart Africa, which is a basically it started. It was an orphanage. It was for kids who had had no family at all. Now it's changed slightly, and and some kids will go there for a period of sort of, um, you know, I suppose to get away from families that for some reason can't look after them or aren't looking after them very well. So there's a little bit of, it's now becoming integrated with the Kenyan social services, which is improving gradually and steadily, I guess. Um, so it's 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 still doing a very good job looking after kids who I think otherwise would have very little chance in life and uh, uh, and I got to go there because I know um, the the lady who runs it um, and her grandchildren come to Shrewsbury School and they're lovely and uh, and she I think um, you saw loads of street children around her in and around Gilgil and just felt someone had to do something. This was in about 2008 and that's when the charity started. And um, so this, she bought, bought a house and seven kids came to live in this house and, you know, they started small, if you like, and then gradually they've, um, they've built up um, enough resources to buy a plot of land and build a, a better, better place for them, if you like. A, as I say, it's a, it's a bit like a mini school. It's a bit like a kind of prep school. Um, it's got its own garden. It's got its own um, playground. It's got a little, little football pitch um, area where they can play football. They actually grow, they grow quite a few tomatoes, and they've got some polytunnels. They grow quite a lot of um, their own food for the kids. Try and keep them as healthy as possible. Uh, they've got a, an area where they make briquettes, which they try and sell, and, and so they're, they're trying to do a sort of bit of self-sustainable. Um, Activity. They've got a women's group who <laughs> who make clothes, belts, things like that to try and sell, and and, and obviously to give some of the local women a, a bit of employment. Um, so it's a, it's a really good thing. They make their own bread. They've got lots of people working with the kids. They've got you know their own bakers, as I say. They've got their cooks. They've got their nannies, um, and uh, and obviously administrators to help run the place, as well as people who are looking after the children. So it's uh, you know it's it's, it's quite. A, Big work in progress, and recently they've been um, uh, raising money to move the children from the local schools where they've been going to school. And if if I'm honest, I don't think the local schools are particularly good. As you, you know, we might complain about the schools over here, but I think um, yeah, you know, I mean, I've got a I've got a friend who who um, and and she she sent her daughter to the local school because her her, her daughter was very good friends with uh, um, one of the local Samburu. Uh, 
and uh, trans women and, and, and his daughter. And they went and, you know, um, the sort of story she came back with about beating some things was, was quite remarkable. And I know in Kenya there have been occasions where the children have risen up against the teachers um, who have beaten them and they've just risen up and said no, no, no more. And that's partly because in Kenya, um, you know, one of the few jobs that carries a pension is a teaching job. And so because of that, a lot of people are drawn to be teachers purely because of the pension, not necessarily because they enjoy working with children. And as a result, you've got the wrong people sometimes working in these environments who haven't got the patience or don't really you know, understand children. And, and there's all sorts of stories about people turning up and um, registering the children and going off to work in their garden, uh, you know, just not doing their job. So now I'm sure, I'm sure things are changing gradually and uh, these sort of stories hopefully are uh, stories of the past, but um, uh, what, the, what Restart are trying to do at the moment is, is basically move these children to um, private schools. Um, don't think of the private schools as you might do in, in terms of the UK, but they are still a step up from the um, from the local schools and, and the idea is that these kids will get a better education and you know I think education is so important obviously I'm an educator but, but I would say that but um, you know I, I do think it's important I've just read a really inspiring book actually The Girl with a Lounding Voice okay. I don't know if you came across that but it's no. uh, about a Nigerian girl who who just wants to be educated she she, she knows that she needs to be educated and, and uh, she's forced into a marriage when she's 14 and and um, um, well, I won't. I won't spoil the story for you. Yeah, no spoilers. But it, it yeah. does. It does kind of yeah. highlight something. And and look. And and I was awful at school. You know, I I was one of those frustratingly bright children who got suspended and everything, and basically breezed through school, getting B's, C's, and D's without ever making any effort to do anything other than get kicked out of class. You know, so <laughs> I was literally probably one of the most annoying people you could teach. Well, but that makes two of them. I think I was really annoying as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it, and but in hindsight, I I know in hindsight, you know, if they say, "Oh, if you know, if you knew then what you knew know now, would I have been any different?" No, I think I'd have been worse. I think I would have actually been a lot worse because I'd have realised that academia, in the sense that it was presented to me at school, wasn't my forte. It, it wasn't what what it was. But bearing in mind, you're talking about school in the seventies, in the eighties. You know, it, it's not the way it is today. Um, but I, I do think it's frustrating that people don't realise, like, like you say, like, it, funnily enough, the, the, the thing you're saying there about with um, Kenya is from a government perspective, it's a great incentive to get teachers on board if it's one of the yeah. few jobs that gives you a pension. It's like, yeah. actually, that's brilliant. Well done them. Yeah. But as you say, the problem with that is it, how, how do you sieve out the bad apples who were just there for the, the financial yeah, incentive? I, you're absolutely right. And I'm sure there are many good teachers in Kenya. You know, I don't want to say... Of course, <laughs> yeah. You know, um, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it's, uh, um, yeah, it's, it's how you gradually work out that actually there's some corruption going on in, in the locality. And of course, I suspect that the further away you are from places like Nairobi where maybe there are people kind of keeping an eye on things. You know, if you go yeah. out into the rural schools, you probably have less people coming to inspect and seeing what's going on. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm not an expert. on. on in, no, in, no, I for mean, sure. But it, but it's also interesting, like you're saying, the the, the, the the book you were just reading, and and this is common 
not just in, in Kenya, in, in many continents in Asia, the continent of Africa, and, and probably the continent of South America. <clears throat> if, if you are a girl, education is not classed as something that's important for you. What's important is being a wife to somebody. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, well, I think, you know, if you read, there's definitely a culture in some countries, you know, maybe in Africa, I don't know if I, I was going to say, especially in Africa, I don't know if that's fair, but certainly in some cultures, you know, obviously still you have um, girls being married, well, married off too young, uh, without a chance to have any education. Um, and in, in, in the book um, that I've mentioned, The Girl with a Louding Voice, it, you know, one of the issues is that her father um, can't afford, basically, yeah. to kind of look look pay the rent and stuff and and actually he's attracted by the dowry that he's going to get for marrying his daughter off and you can see it, he doesn't necessarily want to do it but actually she even she recognizes that actually she understands why he's doing it even if she doesn't want it to happen but but he realizes she realizes that for her father to kind of exist with her brother you know he needs money he, otherwise he's going to be kicked out of this house and all that sort of stuff so the, it's always you know, it's clever because there's a complexity. It's not always straightforward. It's not necessary that someone goes, "Oh, I want to get rid of my daughter." It's sometimes, you know, sometimes maybe there isn't a an option. I don't know. Maybe I'm being too nice to the father. No, I, I think you 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 hit a nerve right there. Is the problem is these things are complex. They're very multi layered, and often they're based on. We, we like to assume it's, it's always based on the worst case scenarios from uh, an emotion of greed or something. But actually, sometimes the complexity is that people are trying to survive and they're making decisions from a place of fear. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely. And, but it is all cult, also cultural. I mean, yeah. you know, <laughs> marrying girls off at 14 without any education is just not good for your society because, you know, if they're having, if they're having children that young, uh, well, a they they've lost their childhood and they've they've lost their ability to be educators and therefore or educated and therefore you know they're, they're going to struggle. Um, it's not going to be easy for them. Let's just say that, and it's not going to be easy for the next generation because they may. Well, they, well, having said that, they may say, "Well, I'm not letting that happen to me." But I don't know whether they'll get that opportunity. Um, you know, it, it must be difficult because also, I mean, comparatively. You know, like you said, it, you uh, you said uh, while we were talking, is people need to be careful about making assumptions about the equivalent of the private school we're talking about over there, making comparisons to the private school over here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think they're quite the same. Again, I don't really know because I haven't visited. Maybe, maybe my next time to Kenya, I'll go and visit one of these schools to see what they're up to. Actually, that would be that would be a good thing to do. I think because um, I think yeah. I, when I when I do go and visit, obviously I'm I'm there um, to recruit pupils to our school. But it's that every now and again, if I if I have a, a window of opportunity to go and do something a bit different as well, I, I like to do that. So, uh, so what uh, is it specifically that Restart does then? The Restart um, Restart Africa. I mean, I quite like the name Restart because in a in a sense, what they're trying to do is restart a child's life. So they get a child who who comes from it could be as a baby, it could be as a ten year old, it could be as a 12-year-old, could be as a six-year-old, whatever, and they are basically trying to give that child another chance. So it is a restart. I think it's a good name for the charity, in a sense. Um, and um, so, yeah, they are trying to... They, I mean, they're, they're trying to give that child uh, security, love, uh, confidence, all the things that you would want 
um, if you were bringing up your own children. You're trying to give your child uh, that security so they can go out into the world from a position of, I don't know, yeah, self-confidence perhaps, yeah. and, and also knowing that they're loved, knowing that they're wanted. And I, I think that, um, you know, I was, saying some, I was saying to someone the other day, actually, uh, this lady actually I was having a drink with <laughs> after my duty night, you know, I think the last thing I said to her that evening, probably fueled by a few glasses of wine, and you come out with these sort of trite phrases, but I said, you know, my, my advice to her as a young teacher is, is just remember uh, that the kids who get into trouble generally the kids with trouble you know and and it's very easy to sort of um you know dismiss the behavior of a child and and, and well, they've got to know how to behave but but you know if, if a child is coming from a, an area where there's been some trauma in their life um whatever it might be then that trauma will almost certainly come out at some point and generally or well, often does come out in, in in behavior that others would say well why are they behaving like that and uh you know, so again, with Restart, these kids, a lot of these kids that we've got at Restart have, have come from you know, very troubled backgrounds where they've seen horrendous things. Um, and, um, you know, honestly, it, it beggars belief. I mean, uh, I think I mentioned a story last time. You about did. A, yeah, but there's another one I could tell you about a, a, a grandfather. I, 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 <laughs> yeah, if you could, because I think it's important when people say... Yeah. Um, that these people come from, you know, like deprived backgrounds or difficult backgrounds or suffer trauma. I, I don't think yeah. people can understand comparatively in this country what they're actually going through and what's actually happening and what yeah. they had to survive just to get to restart, where it then well, literally has to start. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, restart, as I say, I mean, in, certainly when it started, I mean, Mary Cool, you actually... Actually, David, you should get Mary Coulson to have a chat with you sometime because she is amazing. And she would talk to you, and she's she's um uh she's she's like a sort of glamorous. Um, I'm interested already now. Now you're so glamorous. She's a sort of glamorous glamorous granny, but that's that's totally unfair. She's not really. I don't see Mary as a granny. She's more of a, just a glamorous superstar, really, who is wonderful and 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 has. Such we'll we'll stick with a glamorous lady. Yeah, glamorous lady. Let's say that. Yeah, but she's but she, uh, a mature lady. But at the same time, uh, she just oozes um, love, and uh, the kids absolutely love her. And, and I think that what she does is 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 amazing. And, and um, but you know, she 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 has that sort of heart who can't say no to kids. And you know, I mean, some of the stories she's told me in the past was one about a grandfather who. I was going to say to you, I'll tell you now, the, the grandfather who couldn't, he couldn't afford to look after the children he had. He had about, I think, five grandchildren. For one reason or another, he ended up looking after them. Um, but, you know, instead of going to find someone and saying, look, you know, I need to help, uh, I just don't think there was that system in place uh, in, in this area of rural Kenya. And um, so basically he poisoned them. Uh, you made them... You, you <laughs> So he, he made them a, a really nice meal and they hadn't eaten for a bit. So, you know, now, and I can't remember the details, but I have a feeling that two of the children died and um, that actually three of them were very ill, but were rescued and are now at restart. Now, I may have got that wrong, but I know I know most, the gist of that story is right. But and, it, it, and, go on, please. Well, what I'm saying is, you know, now you... I. What I, I, I know that things must have been 
horrendous for him to even be thinking of that sort of scenario. But I also, you kind of think, well, come on, there must have been a, another way. He could have surely found another way, you know, or, or sought help or whatever it must, or whatever, you know. Um, but I think that's and, yeah. the, the thing, though, isn't it? Is the, the gentleman, on one hand, must have been family orientated to be looking after his five grandchildren. But yeah. then there's another part of him because of the strains of rural Kenya, the the strains of the beliefs of his own culture. Um, perhaps he was suffering his own mental health. Is yeah. the the way out of this is to poison them, and that 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 from his and I'm not defending him in any way, shape or form. I'm yeah. trying to kind of highlight the, the situations that these people are in, is that they come yeah. to a place where the right course of action is to poison the children. Yeah, I mean, I think what it, what it does, whatever one says, what it, what it highlights is the vulnerability of kids mm. um, in these sort of situations. And, and, and poverty, extreme poverty, uh, always leads to vulnerable children. And I mean, you, you, you talk to Mary and she'll tell you that I think every single girl who's at restart, who's above us, who's above, you know, sort of two years old, has has been um, sexually uh, abused, so you know that's almost as par for the course. And and uh, you know again, you're. I think it's it's difficult to to um, it's difficult to really imagine it in the sense that you know I know these things happen all over the world, but but um, but where you get extreme poverty, you get extremes, uh, extremes, and you get and you get parents. Or grandparents, or whoever's looking after these kids, or maybe they're not even being looked after. But you get kids. The only way to survive, to get some money for the next meal, is, is maybe to sort of um, either prostitute your children out, or um, or or they do it themselves because they're homeless or whatever it might be. And and you know, it, it, it's horrific. And uh, and no child should be going through that. And in a sense, um, you know, you might say, well, restart's just a drop in the ocean. It's trying to, and it is, it's, but it's a sanctuary for 113 children at the moment. And uh, you kind of think, well, um, you know, the world we need to we need to to wise up, and, and the world needs to take note of this. And and uh, but, but also that drop yeah. in the ocean is providing a different outlook for 100 children, who yeah. will then go on with a very different cultural outlook of how things can be different from a perspective that is personal to them because they are there for very traumatic reasons. So <clears throat> that's how you change culture to a certain degree is one generation at a time based on the previous Absolutely. generation's experience. Yeah, and so, you, want those children, you want those children going out into the world. Absolutely. You're absolutely right, David. And turning around and saying that is not happening to me and I'm making sure that this is not going to happen. And also, and also you know... Um, hopefully putting something back into you know into the world and, and into the society that they've you know, they've That's seen and, and if, if 100 of those children in the next generation get into 100 prominent jobs within local areas governments business leaders men and women and they then set the next set of standards the next tones for the culture to con communicate moving forward and that's why things like restart are important yeah, I mean, David, it reminds me, I mean, there's a little bit of an example I could give you here, over here. It's like not quite the same, but but um, I guess it's not quite so extreme, but it's still important, which is, yeah. um, so I, I'm also, or have been on the board of a, of a youth club in uh, West Everton called uh, Shrewsbury House, which is known as the Shoesy locally. 
Um, and uh, the Shuvi is a great, great institution. It's been going since 1902, and um, and it's and it was an all boys club, and it's now it's now um, co-ed. Um, but again, it's it's a place where um, in an area of pretty significant deprivation in, in Liverpool, one, it, it, the, the area around this youth club is one of the sort of um, in terms of unemployment, it's one of the highest areas of unemployment in Europe, let alone the UK. And uh, you know, and it's got the usual uh, usual issues you'd associate with it in the city deprivation. So you've got drugs, um, <clears throat> you've got crime, you know, people not feeling safe walking around at night. And you've often got kids who are third generation unemployed. So there's nobody in their family who um, they can look up to and say, well, that's, you know, that's a good job. I want to be one of those. Um, often they're single parent families. Um, and, um, you know, the youth club, what it does is it tries to give these kids a little bit of TLC, a little bit of wraparound care, an opportunity to come in and, and, and sound off to youth workers who understand. And, and it's interesting that in the time I've been involved with that youth club, uh, certainly two of the youth workers, the senior youth workers, were ex-members of the club. And I remember one of the, the current the current lead youth worker uh, is a lovely guy called John Dumbell. And he uh, he was a little boy when I first started going to the club. Um, and it's just lovely to see him, um, you know, graduate through the club and realize that actually being a youth worker in that area would be a great job. Yeah. And actually, and actually seeing what his youth worker had done for him and realizing that he can do that for other children and uh you know and, and and actually being part of that community he understands the key thing is actually i think he understands where these kids are coming from he understands the pressures on them he understands the pressures on their mums he understands the pressures on their, their brothers and sisters and all the rest of it he understands and i think if you've got that understanding then you're in a really strong position to be able to help and uh, you know um and some of those kids, you know, come through the shoesy and they and they let's say let's hope they go on to to better things and, and it gives them a it certainly gives them opportunities. And I think the other the other thing is a good link with Shrewsbury School in by two old old Celebrians, which is the name for old Shrewsbury School boys. And they these two had been up to Glasgow and they'd seen the deprivation up in Glasgow, kids without shoes, for instance, and uh, on the streets in Glasgow. And, you know, I've just been to the west coast of Scotland on my summer holidays, and let's just say it's, it's not Greece in terms no. of the heat. No, no, definitely <laughs> and, not. Yeah. So, so then, um, so then uh, they, you know, they, 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 these guys come back down. They don't live in Glasgow. They've just been up there, but they decide, okay, where's the nearest area of urban deprivation where we can actually try and make a difference? And they just they settled upon Liverpool. So they helped set up this this boys' club in Liverpool. <laughs> And the first thing they did was they went to Shrewsbury School and said, "Right, we want your old shoes, because we're going to, we're going to, we're going to put them on the, sh the feet of these uh, these these kids in Liverpool who don't have shoes." And and that's kind of how it started. And it's there's been a continuous link ever since. And um, I think there's always a lot of lot of um, private schools have had links a bit like that. I think, in, in, and um, but not many of the schools have such a um, a strong link now. I think it's great that this link is still there. And actually, we've even got a a, um, a boy from the Shoesy at Trosby School on a, on a scholarship. And uh, so, and I think we'd like to have more. We'd like to have more links like that, and 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 to try and um, help you know where we can with with raising money. And and, and uh, you know, the, I mean, in in times of trouble, 
like um, like, you've, like we've got in terms of the COVID pandemic and economic problems, as soon as the government start making cuts in education, the youth services go first because they're, they're deemed not necessary. They're not, not a necessity. A school obviously is a necessity. A youth club is deemed not to be. So they'll, they'll, they'll cut the youth workers. And, and if um, the Shrewsbury School community can, can help pay for a youth worker or to keep that club going, then that is a brilliant thing in itself. And uh, actually, currently, I'm training for my 22-mile walk next Thursday. The whole school is going on a walk. And we're going to try and raise some money um, for the Shusy. And, uh, uh, you know, and that's probably the best thing we can do in a way. You can't, you know, sometimes, you know, I don't know what you feel like, David, but sometimes I... I feel, you know, you want to try and change the world. You want to, I want to, I want to be involved in everything. But actually, sometimes just raising money is a, is a really important step in that direction because you know you can, you can put that money into 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 a youth worker who knows what they're doing. And yeah, I mean, um, I, I I remember a friend of mine, Haley, and I. It's it's got to be nearly ten years to the day. We did the London to Paris bike ride for Wilton Riding for Disabled because we both worked yeah. in a day centre at the time. Um, where the uh, the service users of that day centre used to use the, the Wilton Riding for Disabled Centre. So they, you know, so we, like you said, we couldn't do anything in that, but what they needed is, is money. And we had time yeah. and resources to raise money. And pe people underestimate that sometimes the best thing you can do is let the people that know what they're doing get involved and let them kind of deal with that because they have the in infrastructure the experience, the understanding, and some, it's, it's a catch-22, isn't it? Because on one hand, you don't want to bring down everything to a monetary value. But yeah. effectively, in many aspects of life, you are your services are a commodity that are exchanged one way or the other. And some people, the service that they exchange is much better when it's one-to-one -one in something they're doing well. And then there's people like yourself and I, what we're very good at doing is raising awareness, raising money. And that's a great exchange of that commodity. You, know I mean? yeah. you can't yeah. be the white knight and save everybody. No, you can't. Because, you, you know, we've all got our own families and, and, yeah. and our own issues to deal with. And, and uh, it's finding time, isn't it, to do everything. But it's... Um, but actually, you know, uh, actually, I, I, I've always enjoyed... Um, the chance to raise money for, for charities in terms of you know organizing events and things and uh um i don't know if i mentioned this before but i did have a we did a night um about four must be about four or five years ago now we did a night called saturday night detention with nick. <laughs> <laughs> saturday, night, saturday night detention with nick hancock and uh so nick obviously um used to be a I used to be a star of star of the old um, show. Was it? Um, have I got news? No, no. Was it? Um, they think it's all over. It's all over. Sorry, yeah. And uh, and uh, he's very funny, Nick. And and Saturday night, he he, he actually um, did actually go to Shrewsbury School. So he was, and he lives locally. So he he said he he very kindly basically said, "I'll come and donate my time." So he, we managed to get him for this evening, and uh, and we did. Um, we had a. Um, because it was Saturday night detention at, with Nick Hancock, we had um, a school dinner. So we had, it was just sausage and mash and gravy, onion gravy, followed by, <laughs> followed by treacle pudding. Fantastic. And, um, <laughs> and there was a bar, uh, but it was it was very funny because the the, the, um, the catering team, it's a guy called Matt Warburton, uh, who's the head caterer at Shrewsbury, he's a fantastic guy. And he, his, him and his team had sort of 
um, done some amazing uh, publicity stuff and, and sort of, you know, sort of all, all the menus were, were surrounded by sort of, uh, and that's why they've written lines all over the, um, all over the blackboards around the place. And uh, it was very funny. And, but everyone really, really enjoyed it. And of course, Nick was full of good stories. And uh, we had a local, we had a young, young man who's a comedian who came down from Manchester called uh, Kira Majaria, who's also uh, an ex trophy schoolboy who's a doctor and also a comedian. He's very talented. And, and, uh, and my son Joe um, played his guitar. He he, he likes a bit of that. So um, we had it was kind of a, a night of cabaret, if you like. And, yeah. Um, but we, it was a really enjoyable evening, and we made I think we made seven thousand pounds on the night. And uh, it's it, it, it's nice when you enjoy yourself and and raise money. And we're going to do another one soon. Actually, I've got a friend who who's up for up for a discussion. I think, and I think he, he could be an entertaining man. So we're, we're looking at I think eleventh of December. So if anyone wants to come to to Shrewsbury to see uh, uh, another Saturday night detention, but this time with a Christmas angel. Um, we've got, we've actually got a real life Christmas angel coming to to, to discuss life. With. <laughs> uh, well, I'll have to make sure I put the links in and also the links yeah. for the your fundraiser. Is it next? Did you say next week you'll walk in? Or... Yeah, well, yeah, I'll send you the links to that. If anyone wants to donate to the Shoesy and the Shrewsbury School effort to raise, we're actually aiming to raise hundred thousand, which is what we did five years ago. But I have a I have a nasty feeling we might not get quite so close this time because of you know it's not quite perhaps the an easier easier time to to ask for money. But I'm hoping that the kids, each kid, each child, each person walking is meant to be trying to raise a hundred pounds. And if we did manage to do that, you know, there's 820 children at the school, it's 100 staff and and all that sort of stuff. So we might, we might get near there. If yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's it's an achievable target when you you break it down yeah. into its numbers. And, Absolutely. So and again, it's if if we can just recap on that because. I do think people don't understand that there are areas in this country that are deprived and there are children who are walking around without shoes, you know, yeah. with, with, they're not, because we do assume in this country that if there's a problem, social services are involved. And what people don't understand is by the time social services have been involved, the problem has got out of hand. That's how come social services have had to intervene. And social services have to make some pretty difficult decisions. and you Incredibly know, difficult. And, and I think it's very easy to have black and white rules and, and say, you know, well, this is what must happen. But it's not always, you know, it's not always, um, it's not always that easy. I remember talking to a youth worker in, in, in Liverpool and he was a very experienced youth worker. And he just said, okay, he said, uh, you're dealing, let's say you've, you've got a family of five kids and one of them is being abused by a parent. Um, is it the best thing to remove that child from the family? And of course, they went, yeah, of course it is. He said, well, but is it? He said, because you're taking them into care, you're taking them away from their family, from the, from the rest of the, the children who, who they might be very close to, you're taking them away from, the, from what they know. You know, how bad is the, how bad is the abuse? What is the nature of the abuse? You need to ask all sorts of questions, and you need to you need to be very clear that that removing that child from the family environment is in the best interest of that child. Um, and uh, you know, still most of us would probably say, "Well, yeah, remove remove the child from the family." But it, but he was just, I think, playing devil's advocate and just saying, "Would well, it, it believe because the the wider picture is that sometimes when you have a struggling single parent or struggling parents, removing that child." just exacerbates their sense of failure as a parent 
yeah whereas yeah which then has a knock-on effect to the other children because and it has a knock-on effect to that parent's mental health and this is again this is when we start talking about how complex these situations are if there's a a better way to support the parent or parents to, uh, to with the children well then you've kept a family together the circumstances might not be perfect but you have a yeah. pa- you have a parent that's still doing their best with the resources they have and within that you create an element of self-esteem and self-esteem is self-confidence it's self-worth and when regardless of your background if you can have a sense of self-worth and self-esteem it's all it's a superpower yeah and i think it's difficult to have self-esteem if you're you know if you're not able to help your child for instance so i mean another i remember speaking up uh, in liverpool to a, a lady who was a headmistress uh, of a local school in uh, breck road and and she was saying that um they started a homework club for parents because you know one of the problems they were getting at school was they set some homework for the kids and uh, you know little little uh little johnny or whoever would go home and he'd say uh, hey dad any chance of bit of help with my homework mate and uh it maybe dad or mum wasn't very well educated themselves and couldn't do it so rather than admit they couldn't help little johnny with his homework they'd be like hey mate i never bothered with homework when i was the old age i wouldn't worry about it mate so the kids don't do their homework because the parents actually are too embarrassed that they can't help their children yeah with homework so what they did was the school started a homework club for parents to show them what what to do what they were what their kids were doing and how to help their kids um, and you know, but unfortunately, the take up for that was twenty percent. But at least those twenty percent were actually interested enough in trying to improve the education yeah. for their children. It's, it's funny you should say that. That's happened to me today. Um, not so. I, I'm technically on annual leave at the moment, and so my my sister is a single parent. She has two children. One of them is autistic, and so while I've been on annual leave. I've said to my sister, I'll, I'll take my niece to school every day and pick her up. You know, just help my sister out, quality time with my niece, you know. Yeah. Um, and, you know, family time, really. And if you don't have to do school runs normally, they're quite entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> when you're doing Absolutely. them voluntarily because you don't have to go to work and it actually gives you a reason to get up in the morning. They're good fun. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And yeah. my niece likes it because I give her Tic Tacs every day. She's like, there you go, there's your favourite Tic Tacs um because i'm i'm not a parent i'm an uncle i'm allowed to do all sorts of things yeah and but my sister was saying i asked my niece today this morning how'd you get on with your homework last night and i said to my sister how did you get on with the, the maths homework because and um my sister said no i've had to i've sent a message to her teacher because i don't she didn't know how to do it and i don't know how to help her you know yeah and and it's and that's the point i mean i look i'm an adult i, I, I run a care team I run a podcast, I run a part-time coaching and mentoring business. I couldn't add up for, for, for level money. Like literally, no pun intended. I could, I can barely count my own money. And I'm not, by any stretch of the imagination, you and I have had a very articulate conversation, so neither one of us are idiots. But I can't, you know, maths, me and maths, no, no, no. We get, we, we get along like Tories and Labour. Do you know what I mean? It just doesn't happen. Do you think, do you think your, your, I mean, I was, I was hearing, I was listening, I think I, I can't remember who it was on the radio the other day was someone talking about maths and just, I think it was on um, a Radio 4 programme and start, it could have been start of the week or something. They had a mathematician on and he was just saying, 
people's oh, no actually i know it was it was a friend of mine who's a mathematician he just said but he said you know people say maths is like marmite you either hate it but so you don't get many people who kind of go yeah maths you can take it or leave it but he said i, I wonder actually how much maths or hatred of maths goes back to a poor teacher or you know and not enjoying it in the classroom when you're little because you've missed out on the basics and and i i, I genuinely believe i like to believe anyway that i would be quite good at maths if i hadn't been pushed up a couple of classes um too uh, too early and and then actually i didn't do the basics and actually when i, I having been good at maths i suddenly found myself really struggling because i had missed out chunks um and i never really i never really recovered because I didn't like it because I couldn't do it you know and I wonder whether um I have a theory yeah. on that from a personal perspective so I had a natural inclination towards um history and but the reason for that is because I found people interested interesting sorry and so I had a natural a natural inclination towards subjects that I found interesting that typically evolved around people, people's behavior, how societies came about. Because I think people, one of the great things about history that isn't presented, if you understand history, you can almost predict your future because history and the politics and how things evolved came about because of human behaviors and human behaviors haven't changed. It's just the clothes we wear and the language we use that changes. So you can have a good indication of where society is going or a good understanding of it if you understand your history and all of the cultural elements of history and la just was it last last week or the week before my brother and i um because it was like nearly the last i think the last week while the kids were on holiday my niece was around with her friend who whose grandma lives next door to us so it's like they came around so we got the old coke and mentos out and it's like right we're going to show you some chemistry and basically we drilled a couple of holes into the lids chucked the mentos and screw the lids down and then everybody had a coke fight do you know what I mean? One bottle <laughs> at a time, right? And what we did was made that very interesting. And at some point, they will learn about, you know, carbon dioxide. And do you know what I mean? I can't, I can't remember how it works, what the chemistry is behind it. But I made that moment of chemistry interesting for them and exciting and fun. And yeah, that's, and that's, that's, yeah, and I think that's the problem with with math. Certainly, when you and I were at school, it was taught from a blackboard. It was they never taught you the fundamentals of maths in a way that can be interesting. You know, like, like, look, when I was a kid, if you'd have taught me the maths behind the velocity of a cannonball and a catapult and an air pistol, I'd have been all in. I'd want to know about trajectory, the, the equations, you know, pi and all of the, the, the things that went behind how you propel something forward. Because, you, know, you know, because I was a kid because that's what it was like when I was a kid. But they didn't. They taught me my times table from a blackboard. And I couldn't associate that to anything I was interested in. Well, I think, yeah, because I think my first math teacher was a little old lady who was just sweet and nice. And, yeah. And then and then I went to school where the math teacher was sort of elderly man. He looked like 105 as far as I was concerned, but I was quite little and he was probably about 35. But but um, <laughs> but he was, um, no, he was quite elderly. And <clears throat> But he was very old school. And if you got something wrong, you got a knuckle duster, yeah. you know, just a punch on the top of the head. And and 
I remember being so scared of getting things wrong. You'd never ask questions because you were basically busy quietly copying off the person next to you to make sure you didn't get it wrong. So you didn't get knuckle duster. So I never bothered trying to work out how to do it. It was just like, that's right, I'm going to do that. And, you know, and I think the fear that I had of that guy was such. And then he eventually retired. And I thought, phew, maybe we have a nice math teacher. We didn't. We got a young guy who was absolutely, the, I don't know whether he was the grandson of the old math teacher, but he appeared just as ruthless and... Uh, um, and, and tough. But it, um, it's, it's, it's true, isn't it? Because that that reminds me of a story when I was uh, a young a young boy. So I'm half Irish and come from my mum is you know uh, a Southern Irish Catholic. So I went to Catholic schools. I went to a Catholic church, and I was an altar boy. And when I was about young, about seven ish, seven eight, we had a priest called Father Beatty. And because my dad was in the army, we went to the army church and. Father Beatty was a colonel. Father Beatty, to me, was possibly the nicest person I'd ever met. And he made. He didn't, live, didn't, he didn't live up to his name then. But Father Beatty, no, 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 <laughs> it's uh, not at all. But he, to me, in my mind, if Jesus Christ wanted a priest, it was Father Beatty. He he was so into his community. He so loved his job. He was so passionate about people that for a period of that childhood. I contemplated that I would want to be a priest because I, I just loved this guy. I thought he was amazing. The following priest, whose name I can't remember, was all children of sinners. You're the scum. You are Satan. And and I remember, I can still remember the boy's name. His name was Anthony. And he made a mistake. Just He was a little bit nervous. It was a new priest. He made a mistake. And when we got back into the, 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 the restaurant or whatever it was, the, that area, he had him up by the scruff of his neck and was shaking him in front of all of us. And, and we'd gone from Father Beatty, the world's nicest guy who used to give us Christmas presents and tell us yeah. what wonderful children we are. And when we made a mistake, it doesn't matter. Life's about mistakes. We'll get it right next time. And if we don't get it right next time, we'll get it right the time after. You know, and, and, and he was so adorable and so encouraging as a, uh, for young children and a great role model if you were an altar boy. You know, because he yeah. would actually come round your house, ask you about school, ask your parents how things were and stuff like that. With this other priest, scared the hell out of all, like no pun intended, but literally scared the hell out of all of us and terrified <laughs> of us all. And none of us wanted to go to church and none of us wanted to be older boys. Yeah. And that's the well, difference with, with inf children's influences. And like I was saying, I think one of the thing, reasons I found things like uh, humanities, the humanities subjects in history, really interesting is because you were encouraged to talk about your findings yeah, whereas yeah. like you Absolutely. were saying with with maths you were petrified you wouldn't dare ask the teacher if you were making a mistake and i think i think uh, i think uh the best bit of advice i got as a young teacher was from a uh, a teacher who i very much enjoyed his company just said you'll hear he said you'll hear a lot about you know going hard and you can lighten up at some point and all that sort of stuff he said but actually he said, my best bit of advice to you, he said, is, is, is love the children because um, they, they know if you're behind them, if you, if you are someone who, who is behind them and, and loves them and, and wants them to do well and supports them. And, you know, that's the best way to be because, you know, ultimately, um, if they know they have your support, then they will, they will cooperate. You know, and you can't run a boarding house in a, in a, 
you know, in a boarding school without the cooperation of the inmates, you know, you, you, and it's much harder anyway. You, I suppose you can, if you go in and you're so vicious and unpleasant and all the rest of it that everyone's in fear and trembling, There's, that is one way of running it. But the, and, and maybe that's the easiest way, I don't know. But I think the easiest, personally, I could never do it that way. You have to go in and you have to be approachable. You have to listen. Occasionally you have to apologize. <laughs> and uh, so I've done a few times and uh, for making mistakes and, and, you know, be human. And once they see that you're human and actually you, you can be negotiated with, I think um, you're always going to have a better atmosphere around the place. And uh, so, uh, yeah, that, that's absolutely true. So I think any any teacher who's, who's, who rules with fear is is going down the wrong line and they won't ever. Well, I suppose some people say, well, we get results here, but I don't know at what, at what, at what cost. Yeah, exactly that. And that's at what cost. And that is probably a great place to stop because I'm mindful of the fact that your time is limited. Yeah, but it can uh, look after some children. <laughs> yes. So, as always, thank you very, very much. It really is appreciated. Uh, well, uh, David, can I just say thank you very, very much indeed for, for um, being uh, so kind as to have me back on your um, podcast. And, and I'd just like to say, you know, if anyone does want to uh, sponsor the, the Shoesy, um, I can send you the links and, uh, and also um, Restart Africa. And, and Restart, you know, to, to send a child to private school in, in Kenya at the moment is, I think, around £360 a year. But obviously that's quite a lot of money but if if anyone wants to sponsor a child in that sense that'd be great um but if if not you know one pound a week one pound a month wherever you can afford every little penny helps in these in these cases so uh you know um and and uh yeah I, i'd love to get you to have a chat with mary so maybe we can help that to happen as well if you if you could do the introductions i'd yeah, really yeah, appreciate yeah. it and just yeah. i'm gonna i'm just gonna tie you in quickly because I do want you back on the podcast because we're going to talk about your comedy character, who is? Oh, Barely Grilled. Barely yeah, Grilled. Have, uh, Barely Grilled. He's, a, he's an outside uh, adventurer, explorer. and um, I think we all know where one. the pun is here. Well, I think we do, and it, but he's not as good as that one. No. Um, and he's, he's a pretty average character, really. Um, we're also working... There's a couple of other characters as well. We're, okay. we're, we're working more, you know. So, ladies and gentlemen, there is going to be a third podcast. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, well, thank you very much, David. Thanks, Giles. So there's Giles. And as you heard at the end, he and I will be sitting down to do another podcast. And yeah, there was lots to digest in that episode. Like I said, I hope you enjoyed it. Please check out the links in the description if you think you can help or are interested in helping. Um, or let me know if there's any more information that I can provide for you. Thank you very much for listening. Take care.